Welcome to the Attention Podcast, hosted by Conrad. This podcast is brought to you by Expose.io, the attention prediction platform. Welcome back, everybody, to the Attention Podcast. Um, today, I'm very happy to have Roger Dooley, uh, someone I've been following a- around for quite a while. Uh, Roger is a author and international keynote speaker. His books include Brainfluence, 100 Ways to Persuade and Convince Consumers with Neuromarketing, and the book that we're going to be covering today a little bit, his book titled Friction, The Untapped Force That Can Be Your Most Powerful Advantage. Um, I'm talking to him in Berlin at a venue called the Neuromarketing World Forum. He was speaking there. We were also speaking there. Um, So it's a bit of background noise. I also video recorded it, so I'll put the link below. Um, Apart from writing books, he's the founder of uh, Dooley Direct, a consultancy firm, and he has a very popular neuromarketing blog called Neuromarketing as well as a column in Forbes. And we talk a little bit about the key ideas in his book, Friction, um, also about his dog and why he feels that a customer journey should be a slippery slide. Um, I hope you enjoy my talk. Uh, We're giving away two of his books. So if you want to make a nice read, shout out to me or send me a message. And who knows, you might be winning. I hope you enjoy. Uh, today I'm here with Roger Dooley, and uh, Roger, welcome. Well, glad to be here, Conrad. <laughs> I'm. Uh, I think we met a long time ago in a Shopper Brain conference. It must have been what five, six years ago. Probably, yes. Yeah, it was a very small one. It was a very small one. Yeah. Well, so we're at the Neuromarketing World Forum, which is sort of affiliated to it, and uh, this one is uh, is a lot bigger, more people. We're in this really, I would call it the grunge-style old. It's actually an old coin factory in Berlin. Hmm. Um, you were speaking yesterday, but we're going to be talking about that a little bit uh, later. And I thought I have the opportunity now to sit down with one of the people that I've been following for a long time, uh, your podcast um, uh, and also your books. So I'm really happy you uh, take a couple of minutes to sit down with us and, uh, and talk. So, well, I'm uh, happy to be here, Conrad. Maybe we should go look for some coins here, you know? Yeah. They, they might have left a few laying around. <laughs> well, nowadays with the inflation, I think that's not a bad thing to do, right? <laughs> <laughs> so um, maybe first off, you've been, you're a keynote speaker, you're a marketing consultant, you're a Forbes contributor, I mean, consultancy firms. Uh, well, I think you've done so much. How did you get into this, this, this area? What got you here? Uh, just weird circumstance. Back in 2004, I saw a couple of areas coming together, neuroscience and marketing, and at that point, I was doing a lot of digital marketing in different ways and said, well, I'll I'll grab a domain. So I got neurosciencemarketing.com, and uh, being a good SEO then, I knew that any domain is more useful if it's got content. So I started publishing a little bit of content there without thinking too much about it, but I found it was getting traction. People were finding it interesting, so I devoted more and more thought and attention to it and more research. And pretty soon I had, I don't know, uh, hundreds of posts. I had quite a bit of traction and got a book deal from Wiley that led to Brainfluence, yep. my first book. Uh, and that's pretty much been the uh, progress since then. It's just sort of come along. My, it's quite a few years since Brainfluence, that friction came out, my second book, second yep. major book. Yep. But uh, it's, there's, there's sort of a, a line that goes through it all through behavioral science. Yeah, I think behavioral science is definitely one uh, that, that that I see back. Uh, yesterday you had a 
you did a talk here, uh, a very interesting one. We got to learn a little bit about your dog, so you have to share that story as well. Um, it's about your second book. Uh, it's, uh, it's about friction. Uh, what's, I, and I really learned a couple of things. It's the WD-40 I really like okay. and a duct tape. So um, what's the second book about? I think it's very applicable to the people that we are, uh, that we have as listeners. Right. Friction is kind of a big idea book. And the point is that uh, unnecessary effort affects human behavior, or effort affects human behavior, including unnecessary effort. And uh, if we want to guide that behavior, if we want to help people accomplish things, we need to eliminate uh, unnecessary effort, eliminate friction. Friction's commonly used, it's been used in Silicon Valley for a while to refer to uh, unnecessary uh, things in say signing up for an app. You know, if you've got uh, five form fields when you could only get, when you could only need two, uh, those extra fields would be considered friction and they would try and eliminate them. And even though the concept has been around for a while, it seems like many, many companies, big companies, small companies uh, ignore it not to mention organizations uh, like government organizations. Uh, so Friction talks about uh, that manipulation of effort in many domains with a lot of examples of how uh, Friction has, can change behavior. And the main biggest focus though is on customer experience. Yeah. That companies have by and large been successful by eliminating unnecessary effort in customer experience. And you can look at examples like Amazon, who has been relentlessly focused on making things as easy as possible for customers. Uh, and they grew from nothing to a, uh, of course, one of the biggest companies on the planet. And, you, and many others. Uh, Zoom is another example that uh, blew away its biggest competitors during the pandemic because it was so easy to sign up. You know, if even corporate IT people even corporate IT people who were committed to Cisco or Microsoft uh, suddenly found that they had to get hundreds or thousands of users uh, online for video conferencing, for video calls right away. Uh, and even they said, okay, we can't get people on WebEx that quickly. Uh, we can, let's, let's just use Zoom for now. Yeah. And it's so, and because Zoom was easy. Zoom's mission statement is make communications frictionless. Yeah. And, that statement was serving them well before the pandemic, but when the pandemic hit, it made them the obvious choice for just about every uh, large company, small company, and individual. Yeah, I think it's uh, the examples were, were nice, and I think uh, everybody recognizes if you're Amazon, uh, it's so easy, right? You have the product, and you just push one button, and, and you got it. And I th it seems a little bit like people almost underestimate how big of an impact that has. Uh, would you agree? Well, exactly. People don't think about a little bit of extra effort. Uh, I look at big brands that I deal with, uh, big hotel chain. Uh, for a while, every time I visited their site, I had to solve a CAPTCHA or more, cap more than one CAPTCHA, uh, like identifying crosswalks in this grid of blurry, grainy pictures. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they don't realize that that is turning their customers off. Yeah. Uh, I am a big fan of United Airlines, sort of. Yeah, uh, but uh, their, some of their elements of customer experience are great, but uh, their uh, website is just full of friction. For the last week, users around the world, have been, or at least across the states, have been complaining about every time they try and log in there, yep. they have to answer questions about uh, the first car they owned or what kind of movies they like, and they, because it says, well, we don't recognize your device, but 
these are people who log in there every day and yeah. it's it's the same device yeah. and but you know companies don't think about the impact this has uh you know I, some people get it amazon gets it yeah. uh, uh, apple gets it apple has always been committed to making things first of all simple and elegant but also easy for their customers i mean that's the big appeal of mac you know you, stuff just works yeah. you don't have to you don't have to do techie stuff to make it work yeah. and uh, when they saw one click from Amazon. Amazon had received a patent on that, which was contested, but Amazon prevailed. Nice. Uh, they didn't try and fight it. They just paid Amazon a million dollars so they could have that one little click advantage. And so, you know, when, when you think that, okay, you know, Jeff Bezos thinks that one click is worth millions of dollars in legal fees to fight for the patent, yeah. and Steve Jobs thinks it's worth a million dollars to save uh, iTunes users one little click you know, then I look at other companies where they have these very effortful processes yeah. and say, what are they thinking? Yeah, it's, it's apparently something that, I mean, you talked about the customer journey. Uh, I think that was, uh, it's, really, it's, it's closely related, like, uh, uh, and you see more attention for, uh, for the customer journey. Would you say that in the customer journey there's not enough attention for uh, the, the, the friction in there? that we are like in stage one first of all we get to actually think about the customer journey like okay that's an idea that you, you cross all these touch points that's the word there but we're not there yet in terms of in those touch points we need to look at friction well i think so it's it should be ideally the customer journey should be one slippery slide where you start at the top <laughs> and once you're moving you really can't get off it just keeps yeah. going and going until you get to the bottom of it but in many cases, and of course we know that isn't the case because we look at shopping cart abandonment rates, for example, yeah. and we see that you know, three quarters of them are abandoned. Now, some of those, there's other reasons, but in many cases, uh, it is friction. It's that, uh, in fact, research shows that uh, four of the f top five reasons are frictional in nature. The yeah. customer learned, oh, I have to set up an account, you know, or uh, wow, this, is, uh, this process is difficult at the end. I've got to yeah. uh, get my credit card out, you know, where, you know, smart companies make that as simple and easy as possible. You know, one, one thing that's kind of amusing, Amazon never logs you out. Uh, you, when you show up at Amazon.com, at least as a U.S. customer, uh, it recognizes me every time. It says, hi, Roger, and I'm ready to place that one-click order. Yeah. Uh, now, it seems like they have no security because all these other sites, they log you out. You yeah. come back, you've got to re-log in. Uh, that's, you know, multiple keystrokes, multiple clicks and just kind of an irritation every time. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you say, well, gee, Amazon must have lousy security. But no, actually, uh, they are willing to take the minimal risk that if the person who says he's Roger is shipping something to his home address with his credit card on file, it's probably legitimate. Yeah. Now, if I decide to ship something to uh, an address I've never shipped to before, or if I decide to uh, yeah. send you yeah. a gift card, which is basically like sending you cash, yeah. Amazon's going to re-authenticate me. Yeah. And it's a very smart kind of security, but most companies don't do it in that smart fashion. They just say, okay, well, you're either in or you're out, yeah. and it's too risky to have you in all the time, so you're yeah. out. We assume you are uh, fraudulent yes. until you've proven the other way around, right? And uh, assume guilty until... Uh... <laughs> right. Well, you know, trust is reciprocated. In other words, if I trust yeah. Conrad, you're more likely to trust me. Yeah. And that works in a business sense too. And yeah. Amazon uh, demonstrates its trust, not just with its uh, relatively easy ordering procedures without having to you know, ask you uh, questions about uh, the breed of dog that you like or something uh, every time. Uh, they 
Uh, they do other things that exhibit trust. Their return process, if you drop off a return, whether it's at uh, UPS or now, it's easy to drop off your returns at Whole Foods stores in the States. Uh, uh, as soon as you drop it off, even if you just dropped off a box at UPS, they don't know what's in that box. You could be sending back an empty box or a box of rocks, <laughs> but uh, they'll, they'll they, will, they will credit you immediately. So by the time uh, I would get home from the UPS store, uh, yeah. I see that the credit's in my account. That's because they trust me. And as a result, I trust them. I know I can order something that maybe I'm not sure if I'm going to like it or that it's going to be, it's what I need, but I trust that Amazon will take care of the yeah. problem. Yeah. Uh, it'll be easy to return it. And it's uh, building trust with customers. And, well, of course, and employees too, but building trust is really important. I think it's a very interesting point uh, because one of the areas that I uh, did a lot of research on in the past is trust. And most of the time, if you ask people what is trust, if they have a hard time to sort of define it, but it's basically somebody or something like a chair doing the thing that you expect it to do, right? If I call my wife and I say I'm stuck in the car and my car's on fire, I, I trust that she will get me out, right? But there always needs to be a, an element of risk in there. Uh, otherwise, it's not trust. The trust is that you can be damaged and that you right. give it away. Right. And I think that's exactly a, uh, a good example when you send something back and I don't even know what's in the box, but they already credited it to you. Right. right? That, that's a very strong, uh, how do you call it? Uh, well, yeah, a, trust builder. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And. And it's reciprocal, so I trust Amazon. I, yeah. I, you know, trust that my information is safe with them, my credit card is safe with them. Uh, I trust that if I have a problem, they're going to help yeah. me out with it. And it's uh, uh, this is why they're a multi-trillion-dollar company. Yeah, I yeah. think so too. They are the only company uh, that uh, in the Netherlands we have a couple of banks. I won't name them, uh, but. Uh, if you do a payment, you have to authenticate again. Even if you do it online, it, it has this process in between. You have to put it in. You have to put in your card. You put in the code. Amazon is one of the few, let's say, organizations where you don't have to do it, even though I have this exact same card on file. Mm -hmm. And I learned later that Amazon is taking the risk if things go wrong. Right. Because they know this is the third, fourth, fifth time the guy is paying with the same, like you said, right. card. It'll be fine. And I think uh, the, the, yeah, they will probably have a very smart department looking at fraud because there are always people trying to defraud you. But um, I, I'm pretty sure that it's easier sometimes because it's easier to order. They get everything on file, click, boom, and there. And that's, I think, a great example of, uh, of friction. But yesterday I learned the friction also works with your dog. So maybe, maybe tell us a bit about that. Well, I make the point that there's uh, something called the law of least effort. And uh, well, first of all, I'll explain my dog is getting older. Yeah, he's like we are. He, uh, yeah, we all are. Uh, and uh, maybe like us, he's pretty lazy. He sits around the house most of the time. And uh, but he's very motivated by food. Yeah. Uh, if there's food, he is. I'm, a, I'm as well. Right. So I recognize this. Yeah, he's. <laughs> uh, so I decided to do a little bit of experiment. I got together three feeding methods, a regular dog food bowl, just a round bowl, yep. uh, a slow feeder bowl that's got this kind of like little maze-like structure that slows it down more dogs. Yeah, to, it slows down dogs who gulp their food. Yeah. Uh, and it's better for the digestion, supposedly. Yeah. Uh, and then a treat ball, and it's a sort of a somewhat flexible ball with a couple of holes in it that the dog's got to roll around and shake and uh, yeah. to get the pellet, food pellets out. A lot of effort to get the food out. Right, well, uh, and so I timed how long it took him to eat a meal in each of uh, different methods. Uh, it was only about half a minute in the regular bowl. Yeah, that's quick. It was five, <laughs> five times as long in the slow feeder, and it was almost 10 minutes in the treat ball. Yeah. But the, the key takeaway from that, Conrad, was that 
he ate 100% of the food because his motivation was so high. Yeah. And uh, that, the problem is that uh, customers, employees, aren't that motivated. They aren't dogs. No. Uh, and you know, if you're making them work harder than whatever their other option is, they may take that other option. And then the second experiment, though, to uh, follow up with the law of least effort, which basically says that people will gravitate to the less demanding path. Yep. If there's an easier way, people will tend to do that. Yep. Not always, but they'll, they'll tend in that direction. The, uh, I gave, put part of a meal into each of the three methods and gave him his choice. Yep. And uh, as you saw in the little video, yeah, yeah. he immediately <laughs> went to the easiest one, the regular dog food bowl. Then he went to the next easiest one, the slow yep. feeder, and then finally the most difficult. And so the, the takeaway from that was that uh, even a highly motivated dog, we know his motivation for food is off the charts, even a highly motivated dog uh, still took the easiest path first. And yep. if the law of least effort applies even to a highly motivated dog like my dog, Conan, then yeah. how, how much will it affect the behavior of customers and employees who are a lot less motivated? Yeah, I can. I recognize that we, with our first platform, we, we ran, we uh, asked people to register and we said, you know, leave your credit card details behind and then you get a free month. And after that, you know, it sort of runs into a real life uh, subscription. And um, we changed that because uh, apparently that was a really high, you know, it's like my credit card, I don't know, and I don't know if the service right. is good. So we now we said just you can just register and start using it, and after a month, we're gonna say you now it's time to pay if you want to keep on right. using it. So we lower the bar uh, because we, I think that a lot of the times uh, you look through the window of your product to a customer, right? And this is how you look at your customer. And if you look at the other way around, you look at the you know, like window from the customer to your product, it's like, it's annoying, get it right. out. Just, right. just let me try it first and then, then, we'll, then we'll see what happens, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it's, a, it's an interesting uh, change. Um, you've done actually quite uh, a lot of podcasts with a really impressive uh, number of, uh, of speakers. I think yesterday Tom Peters dropped by. So these are, these are really uh, interesting speakers. And I was wondering, if you look at the concept of friction, does it resonate with all of them? Do you get new insights? Uh, how does that work with those? Well, that isn't always a topic because I cover a lot of different know, areas. Know, and I so uh, I think that it, it does with many. Uh, I think certainly those folks who are from the behavioral science field uh, understand that effort changes behavior. And if there's more effort involved in something, it's going to take more motivation to make that thing happen yeah. or people will choose something that is less effortful. So I think that there's widespread recognition there. Uh, I think the disconnect is more... Uh, with business leaders who uh, often, they, you know, first of all, they don't have that behavioral science background, but no. also they're getting advice from uh, experts. Lawyers. Well, from, <laughs> from lawyers, from securities ours, yeah. uh, from IT people who says, well, we can't change that code. That would be, uh, you know. Dangerous. Uh, dangerous. Yeah, it's, it's legacy code. We, if we touch it, it's going to break. Uh, and uh, they, many executives don't have the either ability to sort out uh, how true that is, uh, or you know, they, they just, uh, so they go with the recommendation. They don't take and, the risk. No, and the smart managers, in fact, do balance that risk. They understand that, okay, if we uh, don't give uh, people a capture to solve every time they visit our website, we're gonna get some spam registrations. Yeah. But 
you know, what's how bad is that? What's the risk? Yeah. Uh, and and so and you can look at that everywhere, as you mentioned with Amazon. They're taking the risk that um, you know maybe somebody is going to. Uh, somehow do a fraudulent transaction or do a fraudulent return, but they make a business decision. And uh, the problem is that some executives uh, aren't equipped to make that business decision. And I, I recall a story, I worked with a fellow once who was a controller for a construction company that had uh, sites around a, a region of the U.S., so they had their own airplane. Had their own little. It was, it was a big plane, but it was an airplane. So the, still, they, still they good could, to have your own plane. Right, right. They could they could fly to different construction sites uh, around their area, uh, in pretty efficiently. But uh, my friend, who's the controller, uh, always dreaded seeing the pilot come into his office. The company had a pilot because <laughs> the the pilot would always have a request for some new piece of equipment, you know, an upgraded radar or yeah. you know, something else, and. Uh, my friend would push back and say, uh, well, do we really need this? And the pilot would say, well, do you want to crash? And, <laughs> and, and, well, what do you got to say then? Right, right, exactly. You know, you, are, yeah. you aren't going to be the guy that uh, said no to the equipment, that then there's a problem down the road. But that's the exact situation that uh, many uh, corporate leaders are in uh, with their IT people, security people, legal people. Uh, they aren't able to say, okay, uh, ex you know, explain the risks. What are the probabilities involved? What's yeah. the cost involved in each case? And then make a decision. I mean, if companies that have been successful, say, in acquiring other companies or in doing uh, big deals, generally have smart executives because if they s only went with the lawyers, yeah. a deal would never get done because yeah. the lawyers would be protecting themselves in every single thing yeah. and there would never be a deal reached. But the executives will say, okay, we can give on this, give on this, and give on this. Uh, that's a, not the big risk, but this other thing we're going to insist on. Yeah. And that's what I think executives have to do uh, in their customer experience, in their employee experience. You know, you could have uh, an expense reporting process, and I've uh, been part of large corporations occasionally in my career, and that had <laughs> very uh, effortful expense reporting where you had to staple little pieces of paper, or worse, even now, scan them. Oh, so yes. you're, you're, you're scanning... Uh, receipts for a two-dollar coffee or something, and uh, you know that isn't necessary. Uh, but it's it's showing a lack of trust in the people that they're yes. going to uh, somehow uh, abuse their expense report, and they're not they're not making the business decision that okay, if a person is uh, you know five or ten dollars off in their expense report, uh, how important is that compared to them spending an hour of their time every week uh, recording all this stuff and yeah. plus showing them that we don't really trust you. Yeah, I think uh, I worked for a company uh, that had a different approach. They said, we're going to pay anything you're going to expense. We just send it. We still had to do You had still had to put the invoices in there, mm -hmm. but you, there was no control. And they said, we, every now and then we check, right? So you could be checked, but you couldn't or not. And, but they said, if, we, if twice we find it, it's not okay, you're out, right? So it was like very clear, like, do what you want, send the expense, we'll pay it out. Every now and then things get checked. And then uh, there was like, uh, and that's clear. And you that puts a level of trust in. You also know that if I, if I <laughs> gamble the system, that potentially I have to find another job. So I think that's, uh, yeah, that's a fair, uh, fair approach. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things I was wondering is, uh, I'm 50 plus. So if you look back, I see a lot of young people, and I see that um, the behavioral science kind. Uh, area is actually really growing. A lot of people having more interest in, and I'm, I'm really uh, enthusiastic about it. Um, if you look back, uh, what would you advise like the 24-year-old 
student. Uh, she's out. Uh, she's done some behavioral studies. Maybe she read the refraction book. What would you advise her? Like, if you go into these corporations, or what, where do you start? Obviously, you can't persuade someone to take the big financial risk or legal risk. What are ways that you can start using the, the, that more, I would say, uh, create less friction? Right. Well, I guess the, what I would suggest, if they are believers in the fact that friction changes behavior and that eliminating it will be good in most cases for both employees and customers, uh, is, would be to pick some small battles first. If you're a very junior person in the company, yeah. you're probably not going to be able to push through a multi-million dollar project in your first week. Uh, maybe, but uh, probably not. Probably not. But I think that, uh, <laughs> look, there are typically so many small things that can be done at relatively low cost, uh, rules that can be eliminated. Uh, yeah. You know, things that, uh, uh, layers of approval. So often in companies we see, well, this has to be approved by uh, this manager and then that person's manager, yeah. where all they do every time is just rubber stamp it. They don't actually look at it. They just sign off on it. And they, you know, create, that, they create delays. Right. Huh? Yeah, when, when that's happening, you, you just eliminate that. And the, the good thing is when you get some of these small wins where suddenly people see, whoa, hey, my job's a little bit easier because uh, this person intervened, they'll start bringing more ideas to you saying, well, this is wasting even more time. Uh, and it can hopefully start a virtuous cycle in the company. And when the company leaders see that, wow, things are improving, our, uh, either our internal productivity is up or we're, uh, our conversion rate is up on the website or we're losing fewer customers yeah. uh, due to churn, uh, then uh, you can start arguing for the bigger projects. Yeah, yeah. so you take a little small wins, show that works, and then uh, you go from there. Yeah, I mean, it'd be great if you go for the big win uh, right out of the gate, but, <laughs> but the other problem there is the time required, too. Uh, I think it's important, as, as, if you're new with an organization, you want to show some, some results quickly. Yeah, I think that's definitely the case. Uh, I think it's also a nice roundup of, uh, of a little talk we have here in, uh, in, uh, in Berlin. Um, so I was a big fan of uh, the, the Friction book uh, when it got out. Uh, so we're giving away a couple of them. So people can comment uh, and, and we'll sign up. Uh, it was good to see you here. I hope to get you into Europe on some other events to, uh, to talk about friction. Uh, the sun is shining outside and we have uh, a bit of conference left. So um, thank you very much for uh, participating and I hope to see you here again soon. Well, thank you for having me on, Conrad. It's been fun. Yes, thanks, Arthur. Fun. Yes, thanks, Arthur. Thanks for paying attention today. I hope you will join us again for a new episode of the Attention Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Expos.io, the attention prediction platform.